Michelle A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad. And I'm Kat Cho, author of Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits. And this is Ride or Die. We! It's a new year! 2021! Woohoo! I, I, we're time travelers. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you always pull for a spot, but I kind of like it at this point where we're just like, <laughs> we're recording this in 2020. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I also feel like, of course, we have to record it early, like to have it out, you know, on time for the new year or whatever. So yeah. I don't feel bad or anything, but it's also really funny because I feel like you do feel a little bad. <laughs> I do. Well, because a part of me is like, is this considered lying? Like no. to be like 2020, it's a new year. Like it's this is called like 20- showbiz, baby. <laughs> hey, we're yeah. part of the business now. We're veterans. I was. I was actually thinking about that. Like I, I mentioned to you, Clarabelle, right before we started recording that I was thinking a lot about how you and I have changed like since we first met. Because we first met technically before we were agented, like <laughs> two weeks before we were agented. Right, right. <laughs> but it still counts, I think, because we had that like mindset of like so much hope and like not necessarily understanding the nuances of everything and kind of just like really desperately wanting to reach certain milestones because we had struggled for years before we met each of us separately trying to get published and now you know it's both post both of our debuts and we've been around (laughs) we have a whole podcast um i just feel like we're so i just i just remember us back then like little babies like 2016 yeah Bright-eyed. i I mean i i have a very bad memory um usually about like pretty much everything but i do really remember a lot of things from back then i think mostly because like i was so consumed in my feelings all the time about like a singular thing like getting an agent right like that was like my focus for such a long time it's like what i talked to my friends about uh, I thought about it a lot and it was just such an important thing to me and it's so funny because now I mean that's it's a huge milestone but it's also like I see how much of a bigger deal you make it before you have an agent than like when you get one and you realize like mm-hmm. oh because my first I'm not with my first agent anymore right I switched mm-hmm. agents so it's almost like you you romanticize that moment a lot when really it's just yeah. like a business moment and I think because we're authors like it's normal and and I don't regret it it's I think it's a rite of passage to sort of go through that but um but I do really clearly remember being like very desperate <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like um how you build up what it's gonna be like to have your first relationship you know because mm-hmm. you think it's going to be so magical and everything and and it's gonna you, you you kind of compare it to what you've kind of read about or witnessed like in shows or or with your friends and i think we do the same thing with like our first agent relationship or our first you know publisher relationship because we see how great it is for like such and such author and their publisher like goes all out for them or they they have this rock star agent and and we see them like tweet like remember when we first met and now you're a new york times bestseller and blah 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 and we're like that's the relationship i want with my agent i mean it's interesting me <laughs> saying this 
as if I don't have an amazing relationship. Right. I was the I'm was one of the lucky ones. I do I do worry that I'm one of those stories that people look at and they're like, that's what my relationship's gonna be like, which is why I'm constantly being like, this isn't normal. I um, mean, I, I don't know. I don't wanna say it's not normal. I just think that like you have to look at it like you would any other like business relationship like sometimes it's gonna work sometimes it's not like there there Mm -hmm. are a lot of really great agents it's just that it's okay if for example it happens like it did with me where like I left my first agent or it didn't work out like I don't think that's a it's a big deal you know I I think I think before you have an agent thinking of that is like whoa like so scary like no way or or even in the moment like in the moment like when I had to switch um when I had to leave one agent and then like sort of start from the very beginning it was Uh it was terrifying like you were there um uh I, I was I didn't know what to do I felt like I was starting over I think it's okay to sort of show what kind of relationship you have and be open about it because also I think people have to keep in mind like you don't know also what's going on behind the scenes ever like a lot of things seem a certain way and then they're not like that so I don't know it's very weird it's very strange to be on the other side of things I would like (laughs) to think that we're not like jaded authors or anything like that no I don't want it yeah I never want to be that (laughs) no I don't I don't like the idea that I would ever be so jaded that I'm kind of like bordering on being pessimistic or negative. Mm. I do see people sometimes in these social spaces where a lot of different people at different stages and different parts of the community are interacting, very specifically Twitter, and you see these like older authors, older meaning like their career is older, not age-wise, mm. um, being like oh yeah like just wait until after debut like ominous and stuff and i'm like well (laughs) you can't know what their after debut life is going to be like because everyone's is so different and even if like you know i worried about someone's career based on like more details i don't think i would put it that way or say it that way um, it's I would, very dangerous to do that to people. <laughs> yeah, like if, if you really are wanting to warn someone, first of all, it should be one on one because mm-hmm. general warnings are like kind of like yelling fire in a room full of strangers and then running out without giving them context. you know? Right. And then letting them interpret what you mean by it. And then um, so I would rather do one on ones with people. And, and that way it's like it's my friends. I'm like kind of saying like, hey, you know, we have a relationship that has already been built on some level of trust what you told me about your agent makes me concerned and if you want to talk about it more I'll tell you why and like I really care about your career like I'd rather have that kind of a conversation than on Twitter all the chain the generalized chain advice and and subtweets I mean I do give advice on Twitter but I I think when it comes to um beware like you have to be so careful yeah you have to be so careful because people do freak out i remember when i freaked out when i was at the stage of freaking out over everything Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think also i think even individual warning like i've had two very specific moments that i can remember um that people sort of came up to me like about about situations that they were put in and then sort of like 
telling me like, oh, well, this person did that to me, right? And it's like, we want to help each other and we want to like, tell, like warn each other, right? But like, there's also, there's so much nuance that goes into a business relationship sometimes um, that you could be warning somebody about a situation that was like really singular to you and like, you can also like not have the full picture, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can have a problem with somebody and you could tell somebody, well, oh, this person was like horrible to me. And like, we, you don't know unless you really know that person well and you trust their judgment and like you trust that they're not actually just sort of like doing the misery loves company thing, that they're mm-hmm. actually telling you something true. And like, those moments have always like those the two times that that's happened it's been people that I don't know well who's like who have said things to me about people who I was doing business with and it ended up being completely like I I had nothing to worry about and it just sent me spiraling so I I think I think if you're warning somebody like you also have to be very very careful um and you have to make sure that it it wasn't like the, things are going to happen sometimes there's going to be missteps like no human being is perfect in doing business and um unless it's something like completely heinous i think it's really hard to judge and like i remember one of the people who actually did this uh then later they started being like kind of bananas with me <laughs> and i was like oh okay so now i get it like the thing that happened to you wasn't the other person it was you <laughs> You no, know? <laughs> no. I do, yeah, I do think it's hard. Yeah, and I, I do like how you put it of like, you have to be aware if it's kind of like a misery loves company or even just like unaware that they're projecting on you. Right. Um. I mean, everyone, I, I do feel like there's always the possibility that someone had, did genuinely have a bad interaction with this person, but it's also not fair to always assume that that's an indication of how this person does business absolutely all the time uh-huh. and especially if it's like their interaction with them was like in a social setting and they're like they were mean to me socially that means they're a bad agent i'm like well you know everyone's human <laughs> right and every agent like you will not find one agent that doesn't have at least like one disgruntled ex-client like mm-hmm. that's just how it is because that's the industry you know and agents mm-hmm. do worry about that too like I've I'm friends with a lot of agents and I remember I was having dinner with one once and they were like oh this person and I parted ways and I'm worried because they were like very demanding and mean and like I'm scared that they're gonna like go around telling people that I'm horrible we just didn't match and that happens too so it's really hard to know I think that Mm -hmm. that's why you have to be careful you have to look at the overall picture uh, Mm -hmm. because there could always be like clashing between people it's like just it didn't work between those two people that doesn't mean that that person is a horrible uh agent or author or editor or whatever it may be that doesn't mean like completely dismiss it (laughs) it's just like (laughs) consider your sources type of (laughs) advice yeah um so do you so do you feel like your goals now for your career are like drastically different then your goals like for well I guess it's five years now technically because we met in 2016 and this is going up in 2021 like I feel like my goals have 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 hugely changed I was I'm really trying to there's definitely some goals that I still have but it's because those goals were always long term you know right (laughs) like like me wanting to move into other mediums or or other 
age categories or genres or whatever. Um, and especially since this is going to be, you know, one of our first episodes up in 2021, like not, I don't want to call them resolutions, but I do like wonder like how our author goals have changed and what they are now. I think for me, they've, the, the overall goal for me has always been just to make a living as an author and not be mm-hmm. like only eating ramen every day. Um, oh. So that that's always been like my main goal. Like I wanted to just write books and to be able to live off of writing books. And that is still there. I think that my goals have gotten more specific because I know more about the industry now. Yeah. Um, definitely writing in other mediums wasn't a goal from the very beginning and it is now especially now that I've written a graphic novel and I really like it Mm -hmm. um I want to get into doing that more I want to write scripts um I would love to write for tv or something like that I want to sort of expand on the things that I do um and then there's like I guess there's like Big, like big goals like the really big goals that I feel like people are afraid to say out loud because it's like you're not supposed to want those things um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I I've always sort of been very vocal about the things that I want and I think it's okay to to say that you want those things there's nothing wrong with it I think mm-hmm. I think people are very embarrassed to to admit to goals that then don't come to fruition right away because then it's like you failed and it's like no that's not how being an author works, because as long as you're making more books, there's always the opportunity to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so I think I don't have any books coming out in 2021, this year, <laughs> in 2021. Year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to like do the best that I can with writing and continue to grow it uh-huh. as an author, like in my craft. Like that would be my goal for this year and also i'm pretty sure i'm going on sub with a ya this year so that would be to sell a ya because everyone who's listened to this podcast if you're our fan that has been my journey like i've been trying to break in um so i i really hope that that this is the year that it happens for me how about how about you um i i want to definitely kind of work on my craft like you were saying um, I'm just going to copy all of yours. That's fine. No, I mean, <laughs> definitely, allowed. definitely it's, it's more, it's less like, oh, in general, I want to work on my craft and more like, I think that as a, a, a consumer of stories, I've changed a lot mm-hmm. in the last like decade, um, since I first started like writing and trying to pursue publishing. And I kind of, I don't, I know like a lot of authors or there are authors that don't do this, but I do sometimes go back and reread my books. Um, it's, I guess it's easy because I only have two out right now. Um, but I, I've gone back and like read certain passages in Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits, and I've had the thought of like, ooh, I might have, I might write this differently now. Not necessarily like I don't like it as written, just like I could see a different way to write it that I would like as well. Mm. And it's kind of a fun practice for me, to be honest, just to see that, see how my brain has shifted in terms of like how I tell story. And I really like it. And I really like developing as a storyteller. I like to imagine that because I'm different, that my stories will continue to be interesting to readers, even though they've read other books by me. Um, I think my biggest fear is that people would be like, oh, her stories are all the same. 
yeah you know like mm. oh it's just like the same thing over and over and over again and and the thing is like there's authors that i love that are super prolific that like a lot of their stories do kind of sound the same to me at this point but i still read them but i know not everyone is like that um and i and i also just like to push the envelope for myself right not necessarily saying i'm gonna change the game or anything this is a very personal goal i just like to i just think that like a person's interest is constantly changing throughout their life and that can reflect in their work and i think that's totally okay Mm -hmm. um when i first started writing i really was writing thinking like i'm a very commercial writer that's what i always thought like i'm gonna write very like fun action whatever like plot heavy stories and then it turns out that like I actually do really like the like quiet moments and like the human moments and observing what it means to be human which is like a huge theme in both of my books that I didn't necessarily know I was writing and so I I feel like I discover new parts of myself with each story and I really love it and and I want to hold on to that and I want to develop that feeling more now that I know that that's part of my writing process um so I think it's more like allowing writing to continue to be a discovery for me I never want it to feel uh boring (laughs) yeah that makes sense I I think that that is our job like that's our main job like to grow as writers and to continue to improve our craft and I feel like I I, I guess th- there's nothing wrong with writers who just like want to make a paycheck but I gel better with people who care about books and like the actual writing and aren't just trying to sort of outdo other people which I feel like I see a lot of um, in the writing community which is like super yes. frustrating and I think that happens because you lose sight of the thing that's important which is the words especially if you're writing for kids um, mm-hmm. if you're writing for kids and then like your main goal is to like do better than like your your other like colleagues you've got you got to talk to Jesus a little bit that's <laughs> like not good that's yeah. not good I think like it- like if I were to I I like that a lot and I think that if I were to give myself a resolution type goal that was more of a personal growth thing it would be to stop comparing myself as much Mm. and and the thing is is like I don't think I'm a bad person for doing it and I don't think anyone else is Mm -hmm. a bad person for comparing themselves um I think it's it's human nature to do yeah it is I think we were kind of raised to do it. Um, Society kind of puts us against each other all the time. Um, But I also think it's, it's good to always be actively fighting that urge. Um, It's so hard because so much of our social life gets tangled up in this. So many of our friends are, you know, we make friends with each other genuinely like each other in this industry. And then, so you're having a conversation with someone you think of as your friend and then, you know, they mention like, oh, did I mention, you know, my, my sold my book as a movie and then the jealousy monster rears its head and you start being like, oh my God, my book is very similar themes than yours. Why, why haven't I sold my book as a movie? And before you know it, you know, you're comparing yourself. Yeah. I think, I think that it's like you said, it's really normal for you to have that initial reaction. I don't think that it's healthy for anyone to be like, oh, 
don't ever compare because it's like like you said like it's human nature i feel like what is important is what comes after that initial feeling Mm -hmm. because you can have that initial reaction of like oh man like i don't have that yet but then like if you keep going down that road and finding ways to either like delegitimize the person's success in your head or be bitter about it or like just keep sort of like feeding that beast then i think that's when it becomes really bad i think Mm -hmm. that if you have that reaction and then you tell yourself like it's okay like i'm really happy for my friend i hope that i get something like this too i think that's like like that's what you should strive to try to do like like recognize that you you have those feelings you have them for a reason, right? If if your friend got a movie deal and and you don't have one, um, it's because you're you're hoping for that for yourself, and that I that I think that's totally okay. You know, it's like you're both standing in line for an ice cream, and your friend gets it, and you're not sure if there's any more ice cream left. You're <laughs> human. You're gonna be like, oh man, I wish I had an ice cream. Now, are you gonna trip your friend so that they drop their ice cream in the sand, or are you gonna say? congratulations on your ice cream i'm gonna look for another ice cream stand like (laughs) congratulations on your ice cream yeah i mean mean, the analogy was so good and then we got to that part and i was like okay clara (laughs) maybe you wouldn't say it that way but you know what i mean is this like a hint that you want me to be congratulating you more on your food choice? No, no, no. It's I'm okay, just saying. If, tell me. I'm saying if people feel this way, if people feel like they can't stop comparing themselves, like you can put a hard stop on how far it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, and, no, and, I do. I do. Yeah. And your initial reaction, believe it or not, if you train your brain to keep, bring you in a different direction, it will start to to also affect how you react to news too because you're gonna your brain is gonna sort of like associate your friend's good news with your own misery if you're always comparing oh yeah no that's so bad Mm -hmm. that's so bad yeah I I, I feel like I feel like on the other side of it is that like I need I need people to stop um to stop downplaying the amazingness of of any news that they get to I I I mean we've gone over we've gone over all of these topics by the way, that we've talked about in the podcast before. Like, we have very specific things that we are passionate about and we talk them to death. But I, I also think that, um, I also feel like sometimes there's, the, the forced humbleness is also kind of very on the border of being like, this is the way that I know to get people to build me up. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's what we've been trained to do. Like, I don't think it's anyone's fault even. I think, like, especially if you're a person of color, especially if you're female or non-binary, you know, I think that we have been trained to be like, oh, I feel so ugly today. And then your friends or whoever will be like, no, you look so beautiful. (laughs) And that's how you get a compliment. Um, as opposed to being like, ooh, I feel really pretty. What do you think? And then people are like, yeah, you are amazing. <laughs> like, why can't we do it that way? I don't I don't know why we can't. But yeah, I think we can. But yeah, we're sort of taught to downplay our successes. And like one of the things that uh, 
when I have uh, like coaching clients, like authors that are coaching clients, I tell them like the the number one thing usually that I'm working with people on is their mindset. Like because it like even when explaining their goals, they're already telling me how silly they are for wanting those goals. <laughs> and yeah, you're like people's therapists now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and it's like you're not going to reach those things if this is how you think of it. And if you do, you are going to be doubting yourself the whole time. You're not going to be able to enjoy it. Um, be- Because of the same things that you said, you know, there are certain people who have been taught to make themselves smaller um, all the time, um, not celebrate. And then that's why I think it's difficult when you come across someone who is very comfortable with celebrating their wins, then you get annoyed at them, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, this is not what we agreed on. <laughs> You're supposed to hate yourself also. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, that's uh, totally true. <laughs> I, I think that we don't allow ourselves to see how much we've accomplished, you know? So then, so then when we're doing this comparison game, and we're seeing other people being open and with their joy, we're like, well, they're better than me. But it's not because they've accomplished more necessarily. It's just because they're better or, or they're, they have allowed themselves to be open with their joy. I think, you know, people just need to, A, give themselves more credit, B, give their friends more credit, <laughs> and C, stop comparing. <laughs> Th- those are excellent things to live by. Everyone write it down. Yeah, that's our 2021 advice to you. (laughs) Oksana and Pran weren't born fire-breathing demons, but then they were kidnapped, transformed to have power over flames, and forced to fight for the empire that conquered their homelands. Trapped in the heartless army, they have only each other to hold onto. Both yearn to reclaim their lives but both have drastically different visions of what freedom looks like and what lines they will cross to obtain it. Worse, they discover that the only way to defeat the monsters who subjugated them may be to become monsters themselves. Perfect for fans of An Ember in the Ashes, We Are the Fire features fire magic, twisted alchemy, and ash gray morals. Emily A. Duncan, the New York Times bestselling author of Wicked Saints, calls it bold and immersive, a strong new addition to the YA fantasy canon in bookstores on February 16th, 2021. We are so excited about our guests this week. One of them is Emily XR Pan. She is the New York Times bestselling author of The Astonishing Color of After, which won the APALA Honor Award and the Walter Honor Award, received six starred reviews, was an LA Times Book Prize finalist, and was long listed for the Carnegie Medal. She co-created the Foreshadow Anthology and lives on Lenape land in Brooklyn, New York. We also have Nova Rensuma. Um, Nova is the author of A Room Away from the Wolves and the number one New York Times bestselling The Walls Around Us, both finalists for an Edgar Award for Best Young Adult Novel. She also wrote the novels Imaginary Girls, Seventeen and Gone, and Danny Noir, and is co-editor of the Story and Writing Craft Anthology Foreshadow, Stories to Celebrate the Magic of Reading and Writing YA. She has an MFA in Fiction from Columbia University and teaches creative writing at the University of Pennsylvania and Vermont College of Fine Arts. She grew up in the Hudson Valley, spent most of her adult life in New York City, and now lives in Philadelphia. Welcome! Yay! 
thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Nova, where in the Hudson Valley did you grow up? I grew up uh, in the Catskills. Oh, so okay. I went to high school in Woodstock. We're so excited to have both of you. First of all, we're, we will try not to fangirl over YouTube, but no promises. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking some time to join us and, and talk to us about your awesome publishing journeys. Um, so I'm just going to dive right into it and you guys can go in any order that you want, but we definitely want to hear how both of you kind of fell in love with writing and started out in the publishing world. Emily, oh, why don't uh, you take it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I'll try to go fast. <laughs> I first started querying agents when I was about 15 years old. Um, so I don't remember how many I queried back then, only that it was snail mail. So the wait time was excruciating. My and gosh. <laughs> I got rejections across the board. Yeah, it was bananas back then. You couldn't query using email. Uh, and then I decided I would wait until I had like become a much better writer. So then it wasn't until 2013 that I queried again. And I actually pulled up my spreadsheet for this. I queried 14 <laughs> agents, six of them rejected me, four of them never responded. Uh, but four of them actually requested my full manuscript and then rejected me. And I got some encouraging feedback from those four. So I could have moved on to querying other agents as I, I think a lot of writers probably would have. But at that point, I had realized that my book just wasn't strong enough and I couldn't stand the thought of continuing to query just because I was sitting on a full manuscript when I knew it could be better. Uh, I had also done maybe like 13 drafts at that point. So I really needed a break from that book. Wow. So I, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I am a chronic rewriter. Um, so then I gave myself some time off to grieve those rejections and then I started to write something new so I drafted a whole new book I did several revisions of that and then it still wasn't feeling good enough so at that point I pivoted to rewriting the book this book that I had been working on for so long uh, that would eventually become my debut and it was at the end of September 2015 uh, that I started querying again well, with that project, that that rewritten book, and I sent that to nine agents. Five of them requested the full manuscript right away. Then one of them offered me representation, and immediately on the heels of that, be because of that, three more agents immediately asked to see the full manuscript. Uh, and ultimately, at, at the end of the whole process, I ended up with three offers of representation and two agents who maybe wanted to work together if my vision matched their suggestions for huge overhauls. Um, so I, I had like an embarrassment of riches. Um, <laughs> Ag so agents I, are so thirsty. Like when, when you get like one offer, <laughs> yeah. they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> right? Like how yeah. dare you? <laughs> and it was bizarre because I went from like, it was like radio silence. And then suddenly it was mm -hmm. like agents were emailing me to be like, I'm on page 130. Don't sign with anyone yet. You know, um, just like keeping me updated. And I was like, Oh my God, everybody calm down. This is overwhelming in a different, like in the opposite extreme. Um, so then I picked my agent who happened to be my first choice, like literally at the top of my list anyway. Um, so that was, uh, a nice love match. Um, and we did one light round of big picture revisions after that. Um, and then he sold my book in two weeks. 
So it was, it was kind of like a nothing happening and then suddenly a whole flurry of activity. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's, that's, that's such publishing in the nutshell though, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. And I have to say, I very much appreciate the spreadsheet you know business going on there i love a good spreadsheet clarabelle can tell you she so. makes spreadsheets for me like like i don't make spreadsheets and cats like cats like it's fine i'll make you a spreadsheet and she makes me spreadsheets for everything revisions like when i was querying like she made me spread she makes me spreadsheets constantly it's it's really funny it's very cute also but it's just oh like God. really funny this is like how noma doesn't this sound familiar i make spreadsheets for all of our things I was just thinking about all the Google Docs that we share and how grateful I am that you make them, Emily. Yeah. You, and how like, the majority of them are spreadsheets. I love it. Yeah. They're just so fun. Spreadsheets are, you could do so much. We're not, this is not going to devolve into a spreadsheet podcast. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I'm yeah. just constantly arguing that everything should be done in Microsoft Excel. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it makes it so much easier to to digest the different parts of things. Anyway, that's OK. So, Nova, <laughs> tell us about how you fell in love with writing and got into publishing. Oh, it is such I, I'm trying to think of how to condense the story in all honesty. And when I think about it, it feels like I'm thinking about another life that I led. You know, when I was starting out, it just feels so long ago and such a different, more naive and hopeful person at the, on the other side of it. Oh, so, my gosh. Um, that That's yeah. literally what we were talking about in our pre-chat, like how we've changed from when we were querying to now. So it's so funny that you say that because relatable. It's yeah. really, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's become, you know, m m books later, it's a whole other thing. But so I started out writing um, what literary fiction for adults. That's what I wanted to publish. That's what I, you know, went and studied for my MFA program. And at the time, though, I was always writing teenage characters. It's like I couldn't get like, I didn't really realize what I was doing. I didn't I had like a disconnect there. And so I, you know, I wrote uh, one manuscript, I queried agents with it. Uh, and I ended up shelving it. It was my thesis for my grad program. And I shelved it for two reasons. Uh, I, I queried this, my dream agent, and she read it and said that the book was, quote, too quiet. And then um, I showed my mother. And my mother was, uh, it was just a very personal manuscript. It was about our family. It was about myself. It was also 500 pages long. Like, it was just like a lot of problems with it. But she felt just, I, you know, kind of sensitive and wounded from all of what I put in this manuscript. And I couldn't, I just couldn't go on thinking of that being out in the world. Like it was just, I put years into that manuscript and I think it was just like the one-two punch of dream agent and mom, like within a span of like a couple of days. And so I was just like, I'm gonna write something completely that is not my life. So I then wrote a whole other manuscript that I thought was adult literary fiction. It had two teenage characters in it. And I queried a whole bunch of agents and I was just looking at my spreadsheet actually before this. This was years ago. So um, this was also when things were sent in the mail. You, if, you, if somebody asked for a, a full request, you had to mail a you know 350 page manuscript, which was very expensive, get it copied at Kinko's and then mail it. So I have down that the last time that I queried was um, in 2004 
And this is so funny, I didn't realize this, but one of the agents who was one of my last rejections for this manuscript was Jandy Nelson. I don't know if anyone knows that. What? Yeah. She was an agent. She was like, a, it's, I, I have in my, my thing that she was a, a young agent who likes dark. <laughs> That's what I wrote. And she was at some agency. She requested the full and I guess she never um, offered. So I don't I completely forgot she was an agent. Anyway, so that was a huge uh, rejection, um, series of rejections. And I, this was a point when I was working in publishing. I was a copy editor and I was just going to give up like completely like you know what maybe this is not in the cards for me I can't find you know I can't get published I can't get an agent and I was being a little over dramatic and I really was going to give up on writing completely for publication but just do it for myself you know for the love of it and then a few things happened in a ser like a short amount of time I got a, a writing residency at a place called McDowell um, where I kind of like reinvigorated my love of writing again. And I started doing ghost writing in publishing, like work for hire writing. Uh, and so I wrote, I don't know, like 17 uh, books. Some of these were novels. Some were like, I've written Mad Libs. I've written like, like, I've written, like short, Strawberry Shortcake. Like, I mean, I like whatever I could get my hands on, I would just write. And through that, I was able to get my first book deal under my own name, which was um, with Simon and Schuster before I had an agent. And then um, I'll, I'll speed up a little. And then I had taken a short story that was for adults and I adapted it into a YA uh, novel. I had 25 pages. And because I had a book deal coming with Simon and Schuster, I queried agents on 25 pages. I'm so embarrassed to admit this now. And somehow, I think because there was like something in the works and they saw something in the 25 pages, I was able to get an agent at that point. So all the years before, without getting an agent on full manuscripts, you know, nothing. And then this time I had made something YA. I think I had found my, what the voice was supposed to be. And within, I don't know, within days, I had, a, I, had I think, seven offers from agents and I, I did phone calls and I went and I, I, I met them in person. And then I chose um, the agent that I still have today, who was just the perfect fit, who saw you know a vision for my career that really matched my own vision. So, um, so it's this wonderful, happy ending in terms of the agent. But that was there were many, many years leading up to that where I just was, you know, at a low point and not wanting to uh, not knowing where to go and not knowing what to do. And then after that, the book quickly sold and uh, um, ended up being published. The, so the first book that I had sold, the one I had gotten uh, when I was doing like work for hire kind of stuff that became my own book, that one published. And then soon after that, the one that I had queried agents on, I think a couple of years after that, that was my first YA novel, Imaginary Girls. That's so, so. great. Uh, it's it's so um, interesting how a lot of times we only see sort of like the the very end, like, oh, the book sold quickly. This person got so many offers of rep, right? But you had been working on it for so long. Um, and yeah. and I'm glad you're able to share that story because I feel like that will be encouraging for people who are in the same position right now, sort of waiting and thinking like everyone just has things happen to them quickly. Like, no, that's not mm – -hmm. <laughs> Oh, it yeah, is. Yeah. And often you have to write a new manuscript. 
you know, sometimes you have to let go of something and you have to, to try something new and see what it might offer you. I know that's scary to think about for a lot of people, but it can bring out something really wonderful in your writing when, when you're at that place. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a hard thing to sort of accept too when you're at that point, but publishing is all about being flexible and learning to sort of like take a new route in order to get to where you need to go. So um, consider it if you are stuck and <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> yeah. I, I also really, really liked the part where the part, like the story. Um, I, I, <laughs> that, like that, our that bedtime story. story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, but I, I do like that you talked about the facts that you didn't really know what type of story you wanted to tell or where you were comfortable you know in your writing and and it took you a while to get there Um, because I think that someone now looking back at your career could maybe make assumptions of being like um, you know you have um, some great success you you know have a great fandom you have awards and things like that and and it would be hard for a fan to ever imagine that you never had this voice just to begin with um, and to hear that it took you a while to find it is really inspiring, I think, because I do think a lot of us are like, uh, oh, you know, I wrote a book and that's it. But like you don't think about, you know, is it the right book for you? Is it the right book to debut with? All of that stuff. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's such an important question for any writer to think about is like, what do you want your debut to be? That's one of the reasons why I admire Emily so much is Emily, you you have like you make sure that that is a book that you're going to be proud of and you rewrote it and you revised it and you made it into like exactly what you wanted it to be, even if it took time. Even if, you know, I think other people would have been too impatient Mm -hmm. and they don't realize that you're going to really be so happy and thrilled with yourself that you put the work in. So I really admire that that Emily does did that and continues to do that in her writing uh, to turn the spotlight oh. to somebody else <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind of you know but I think I, I I'm sometimes just stubborn to a fault um, but it but it is an interesting point because I you know I was also working in publishing um, I was I was doing marketing for Penguin um, and I read a, a lot of manuscripts and I kind of got to see the full um the the variety uh both in types of stories that were being acquired but also in quality you know and and now when I look back I'm like I do think that the book I was querying in 2013 if I had continued querying I think that that book could have gotten me some agent somewhere Mm -hmm. and maybe and, and and I don't and I don't think it would have been the right book to debut with. You know, it was a completely different book from the type of stuff that um, I actually love to write. I kind of wrote it thinking that it would uh, get me into, get my foot in the door. And then I could pivot to writing the stuff that I cared about more that was super weird. And I'm really glad that I didn't um, stick to that one. Because yeah. ultimately it, it was like, you know, off brand. It, it wasn't what I, it would have seemed like that was my brand if I had debuted with it, but it wasn't really the type of stuff um, that, that thrills me to write so much. It was more like, you know, I was chasing a trend. I was trying to mm-hmm. publish with um, this YA fantasy that was kind of more of the same, like kind of the stuff that you were seeing on the market already. Cause I felt like that was what I needed to write. 
And I think that, you know, I wouldn't, I also wouldn't have leveled up in my writing, I think, if I had um, gone ahead and published with that, because I would have thought to myself, oh, well, this this level, this quality of writing is good enough. Yeah. And I kept, after I tabled that project, I kept pushing myself and being like, how do I get even better? You know, there's that Ira Glass quote about, um, about how when you, when you start out, like your taste is impeccable, he says, mm-hmm. your taste is impeccable and you just keep doing the work. And at first your vision is so clear in your head, but there's this huge gap between what you actually produce and where your vision lies. And it's only through the repetition of continuing to make work, to push it out, to challenge yourself and stay ambitious and, and, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, only then do you start to bridge that gap. And, and for me, it felt like, yeah, I'm obsessed with that quote. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, uh, for me, the thing about astonishing my debut novel was that when I wrote the opening pages, I literally sat back and turned to my partner and said, I'm bridging the gap. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the first time where I can feel that my writing that's coming out is starting to match my vision. Oh, that's such a good feeling. Um, That's amazing. And it just speaks to like how important persistence is, even if you call it you being stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also think that it's, it's so, it's so kind of beautiful that both of you have parts as part of your stories, the idea of like publish the publishing as it's presented to us as outsiders and our preconceived ideas of what publishing should be. And then you guys both, at one point, it seems, had this thought like, that's what we're told publishing should be, but I want to work towards what publishing could be. And I, I just feel like that is what I've always thought about when I thought about your anthology too, about Foreshadow. Or, you know, your the, um, the online short story um, website as well. Because I remember like when you guys first announced it, And you were kind of just saying, like, we really want to showcase, like, underrepresented voices. We want this to be a way for you to discover your new, like, favorite author, you know, so that then you can go read their books. And I always thought that that was such a wonderful thing for both of you to do with the platforms that you already had. Um, So I was always wondering about how that kind of idea, seed of an idea, grew into what it actually was. I've always been interested in that. (laughs) Um, I can start and and, and uh, dive into how we first came up with this. Emily, we, we have told this story a number of times. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, I will I will say that, you know, this was a dream that we both had. You know, I wanted to one day edit a literary journal that had, you know, that published YA. And it was because I had a background working in literary journals from grad school and from years before that. And Emily also had the same dream. She also, you know, edited literary journals and also wished to publish one day some sort of literary publication of YA short stories. And so we were going to the AWP conference, which was in Washington, D.C. that year, and we were traveling together on the Amtrak we were going to be on a panel together and I don't know we were just talking for hours and hours like the whole time Emily we were having like this wonderful like inspiring conversation and then I remember at one point I kind of like turned to her and I was like you know confessing my dream you know I would really love to do this and Emily was like wait I would also really love to do this 
and <laughs> she was already busy editing another uh, you know magazine, Bodega Magazine, editor in chief. And I knew how busy she was, but I will tell you, on that train ride, I was like, I am going to convince her to do this pro- to do a project <laughs> with me. I am going to find a way. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't like dive in that day and like make her commit. But I promise you, like months later, I was like, Hey, Emily, remember when we had that conversation? Like I was just like, I, I had my sight set on this, on having like such a wonderful co-editor because I knew that together we could create something that, you know, made a mark in, you know, in, in publishing and opened the door for writers in YA that just wasn't as available in that space. You know, it's not many places where you can publish a YA short story. So Emily, I had my sights on you. (laughs) It was the long con. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, when we talk about short stories, you know, short, short story collections, YA short story collections specifically have, uh, you know, kind of come into vogue in recent years, but they are still always, you know, an established author gathering a group of other established authors, curating this themed anthology and putting that out into the world. So as Nova was saying, it it, dis- it doesn't function as this potential way to get into the industry the way that it that short stories and, and specifically literary magazines do in the adult literary space or the adult sci-fi fantasy space. And so we felt like this was kind of a missed opportunity that there weren't really, you know, some people had kind of tried to start a YA uh, anthology or a YA literary magazine that was for um, people who had no publishing credentials, but none of them were, none of them seemed to be really running um, none of them seem to be really gaining much traction. And we thought, what a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that, you know, instead of doing, because Nova, Nova and I got together over pancakes at Veselka. <laughs> and Nova was like, Emily, we have to pay everyone. <laughs> and, I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, okay. <laughs> like, we got to get money then. <laughs> Like, it's one thing to say that, but like, where are we going to get the funds? And so I was like, okay, that means we have to fundraise. And if we're going to fundraise, that means we have to make this project a finite project. Like it has to have a set number of issues so that we know exactly what our goal is and so that we know exactly how much we're paying everyone. And so we don't run into the situation where we're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're out of money, you know? Uh, And so... That was how it pivoted from being a literary magazine to being a um, serial anthology. Like we would release it magazine style, but at the end of 2019, we would finish. And, you know, that became this way to celebrate young adult short stories. We wanted the platform to be free for anybody to read. And we wanted to make sure that every single issue you know, shined a spotlight on a brand new writer, somebody who was maybe a completely unknown entity, but was absurdly talented. And we were able to gain such traction with the platform that we ended up with this book deal to make this print version of the anthology. And since we couldn't publish all the stories that were featured on the platform because they just wouldn't fit in one book, we decided that we would only publish the new voices and that would make it really special. 
And then Nova and I wrote all these craft talks to go with each story because we wanted the this perdurable print version of the anthology to really feel unique and stand on its own separate from the online platform, which will exist forever. Um, and, you know, we also have some behind the scenes material offering sneak peeks at the inspiration and the editorial process. So this book just ended up being such a wonderful culmination of this work that we've been doing for the last three years. That's so great. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's amazing when people uh, take something like this um, and just make it happen because it's a lot of work and it's not like you guys are getting millions of dollars for doing something like this. It's a labor of love, but it's as someone who my very first published short story was in foreshadow YA, I can tell you that it meant a lot to me. It was like such a happy moment for me. Um, And it's, it's just wonderful that you were able to give that platform to so many people, including me, um, and that you were able to make it a book for new voices. I think that was like the perfect choice. And it's it's so like thinking back on like baby writer me and had, had like a, a, my short story like before I was published or anything came out in in an anthology I would have been like just like endlessly crying of happiness so um I'm sure it means so much to those to those authors um and and that's just great so much of the work that happens um in YA is is sort of like this like a labor of love from for people Oh, hello. Hi, Writer Die listeners. It's me, Ryan LaSala. I am a good friend of Kat and Clarabelle. I'm a huge fan of Writer Die, and I'm here to tell you about a another project that Clarabelle and I are working on that we think that you're really going to love. It's called Celebrity Book Club. It's a weekly podcast in which Clarabelle and I take on the world of celebrity pen books one chapter at a time, talking about the good, but also talking about the bad that they get away with, basically, on the merit of being celebrities and, uh, you know, not people that have to make it out of the slush pile. So, anyhow, this season we are reading a fantasy novel written by Tyra Banks called Model Land, and it is absolutely wild. We're only a few chapters in, so if this is something that you want to, like, keep up with, we suggest you head over to uh, anchor.fm slash celebrity hyphen book club and just tune in. We cannot wait to have you, and we want to hear all of your thoughts and predictions. So yeah, we'll see you at the club. Bye! The choices made in Wicked Fox have had far-reaching effects, and Myung's friends are about to find out the dire consequences. The forces that govern life and death have been upended, and there are supernatural entities lurking in the background that will stop at nothing to right their world. New romance and dangers abound in Vicious Spirits, the companion novel to the crowd-pleasing Wicked Fox. This contemporary fantasy duology finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. We have an an audience question too that's a little bit more about like your friendship. <laughs> and it's um <laughs> How how has your friendship evolved slash changed since working together and doing foreshadow? Oh wow. I you know, 
I feel like we were more tentative before we started working together. It's like we were we were we were friendly. We would like you know go out and have, you know, um, falafel fries, right? Did we? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like. But there was there was something that happened that deepened our friendship in this beautiful way when we when we started doing a dream project together. I mean, when you're working on a dream project with with a partner and you're just like, you know, let's, let's shoot for the sky. Let's see what we can do. And you know, all the hard work that goes into that, you know, behind the scenes that no one else can see. I just, I feel like we bonded so much over all of this work that we did together in a way that like, you know, we could like, you know, sometimes we'll do things that, you know, one of us will know, you know, what the other person is going to, you know, do or say or react, you know, our reading taste has, has, you know, grown so much, like is so clearly like, you know, communicating with each other that like, Emily will text me and be like, you have to read this story in this magazine. I know you're going to love it. And I will be like, oh, that's so funny. I act that actually is the story that I was reading. <laughs> you know, like there's something, there's something that happened as we were working together that um, really connected us in a way that feels really special so yeah I feel like a lot of writers are kind of like cats when you're getting to know them you know like you set out the dish of milk (laughs) and you sort of like wait for the cat to come over and become acclimated to you and and they're like yes you may pet me now and then they and then they're like okay that's enough and they wander away again and you know so we were I feel like we were kind of like I feel like we were kind of like cats around each other at first I think we were we like were. oh I'm interested in this human you know but but like oh, but like we'll see and then you know we started working on first out and I don't know I feel like we just became um telepathic and like completely <laughs> you know we imprinted on each other <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did and it's you know like we're you know co-editors and partners in the project but I think that this is a friendship that's going to last beyond the fact, you know, the book is out, the, the online version is over and, you know, we come away from it with this wonderful thing to celebrate for all these stories that we got to publish. And then also this, this friendship. That's so amazing. I, I think that's, I think that's so beautiful and also kind of um, so weird that Clarabelle and I were talking about friendships and publishing mm-hmm. in our pre-chat too, because um, we're psychic. <laughs> we Clearly. Um, no, but it's it's kind of it's kind of beautiful what can come out of of like a random conversation you have with another creator, and and if you just are consistent or persistent, maybe is the right word, and, <laughs> and passionate enough about it, then really amazing things can come out of it. And um, I'm very I'm very grateful for foreshadow. I I mean, obviously I haven't um, been involved in it other than as a fan, but I think. <laughs> That as a, fi- I, I, I'm gonna speak for the fans and say <laughs> that it has, it has given me so much entertainment and joy, um, and and it really did, I, it really did allow me to ex- discover new voices. That I think sometimes it's, it's daunting to be like, okay, I'm gonna pick up whole bu- this whole list of books and commit myself to reading them, and then you kind of like get in your head and then you have a TBR that's like a hundred books long because you can't commit. But it's it's a lot easier to commit yourself to reading, well, like you know, one edition of a short story m- magazine. Are we calling it a magazine? <laughs> Serial anthology, yeah, yeah. Because 
I would sit down. I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to read the first story of the really of this of today's release, and then I just would read the whole entire thing. So um, I, I really did enjoy it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny what you were saying about how, like, um, it's hard to commit. Like, I hadn't thought of it that way. But have you seen the, is it a tweet or something that's been shared around about how uh, anxious people rewatch TV shows mm-hmm. and movies they've already seen mm-hmm. because they're too anxious. So they need to know that it's going to be, like, they need to watch something they've seen before so that they can have that, that comforting feeling of knowing what to expect. I feel like it's similar when we we stick with authors that we already love. We're like, okay, I know that this is going to give me a type of experience that I've had before. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Totally, for sure. I I mean, I've that's me. That's explains me in a nutshell. In 2020, (laughs) I've just rewatched a bunch of things. Although I've tried to actually finish series that I had never finished in the past. Um, which has been an interesting experience. Like I finished Bones because that show was so long, <laughs> and <laughs> I gave up like halfway through. I'm I'm almost finished with Supernatural. Obviously, this series. Oh my god, <laughs> that is a commit. It was. Thank you for acknowledging the work I put into this. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot, man. Um, like I just it was. But um, that's been that's been my coping, and and I'm using this as a bridge because we have another audience question, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with books, but it does have to do with the pandemic, I guess. Um, they said they be- but they both seem like they have really good taste. Can you ask them what your their favorite place to shop online during the pandemic has been? <laughs> oh God, I am. I, I have a shopping problem. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm all about uh, small businesses and I'm all about slow fashion. And so my favorite place to get um, de- delicious jewels from is called Blood Milk. Um, they just make the most incredible stuff. And my favorite... Um, well, I have a couple favorite slow fashion places. Um, I love Holy Voids, um, and I love Sophie Reap dress. I buy a lot of clothes from both of them. But slow fashion is literally like uh, I, you know, like I will wait two months for a dress to be made for me. Um, oh, also Nui, like the French word N U I T, Nui Clothing Atelier um, in. With, I think she's based in Canada. Um, I also love the stuff she makes. Basically, in pandemic, I have been leaning into my um, my aspirations of being a goth wood elf. And so everything, <laughs> everything I've been buying has been in support of that pursuit. So I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, I think I found all of them, so I'll link all of them in the show notes for anyone who's looking for these. But that was that was good. How about you, Nova? I, I wish I had as, as exciting of an answer. That's amazing. I have basically been wearing pajamas for the entire pandemic. Relatable. All the time. All the time. So I haven't really been shopping for things to put on my body, but I have been get, buying a lot of books. And so um, what I've been doing is just like I'll be supporting, obviously, the local Philadelphia stores that, uh, you know, in my area. 
So there's Head House Books, which is uh, where that did my recent launch event, and I love them so much. But I've but a lot of what I've been doing is if there's a bookstore that has supported, you know, foreshadow for an event, I've been buying books from them. I've been buying books from um, the bookstores of my childhood. So the Golden Notebook in Woodstock has gotten a number of orders from me, um, and Oblong Books in Rhinebeck. And so I, I have... Um, too many boxes of books arriving at the house. And so I guess that's been my shopping addiction for the pandemic. And I can't even say that I've read all of them. They're like sitting here on this shelf for me. That's relatable. Pajamas and books has been me as well. (laughs) That's that's a good uh, 2020 philosophy. (laughs) Or it's a good life philosophy. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, um awesome okay I'm, i'll link all of the uh bookstores that you named to nova for everyone who's listening so you guys can all join us in having too many books in our apartments um <laughs> as if everybody listening didn't already have that problem right i know i feel like they're fair. all like oh, yeah we already have all these books <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair which is good keep buying the books yes no we're very happy we're very happy with people buying too many books we we support this addiction it's (laughs) ride or die is brought to you in part by t public t public is home to independent art on stickers cases shirts and more check out our write or die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash write or die podcast check it out now so I know that we've kind of gone over like the philosophy befi- behind foreshadow and and how it came about and everything like that. But if you guys were to give kind of a quick elevator pitch, um, do you mind doing that just for the people listening? So foreshadow is this anthology containing um, 13 stories by writers who you uh, most likely have not heard of before, but are, you know, they are one by one starting to put out their own work. And it's very exciting. All of these writers were chosen by rockstar white authors who you already know and love and um, who blurbed these stories for us. And we got to put all of them in this really wonderful collection paired with craft talks. Uh, so you get to hear a little bit about what Nova and I think of our writing processes and our personal takeaways when we read these stories and when we're sort of reverse engineering them and trying to learn from them and study certain elements of craft. And it's also got uh, bits and pieces from our fiction editors for our Foreshadow online platform that origi- uh, that existed before the book. And it's just such a fun little compilation that is you know designed for readers and writers alike to enjoy and hopefully draw inspiration from i love that yay that's so amazing and now all of our listeners have to buy the 20 prerequisite copies oh yes that's a podcast requirement (laughs) it's it's one of the rules of write or die town you must (laughs) one day one day our power will truly be thus that we can (laughs) We can, like, control, like, the New York Times list or something. What do you mean? We don't already. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to I'm going on record to say we don't because the <laughs> list is woefully underrepresentative. <laughs> so I don't want I don't want credit for the list right now. <laughs> yeah. If we controlled it, our books would actually be on. <laughs> 
<laughs> also, <imagine>. duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, so, yeah, um, I have one last question and, and it, um, before we do the most embarrassing thing. Um, and because this is going to be, if not our first episode back in 2021, one of it, um, do you guys mind giving just a quick little piece of advice like positive reinforcement for people listening so that they can start out 2021 on a good foot going into the new year going into 2021 you know it a fresh start a chance to you know become a new kind of writer become a new kind of person i think that what is important to think about and something that i know that i want to think about and hope to offer to, you know, any writers that that I know and that I work with is that we have to be gentle with ourselves as we, you know, move into this new year. Maybe the expectations that we have for ourselves should be and can be more open. They can be as ambitious as we can imagine, but just try and be a little more open to what might come at us in 2021. Because I look back at some of what my expectations were at the beginning of 2020 and how derailed all of that has gotten and I kind of wish that you know I had been gentler with myself as I went through the struggles of this past year and so I just hope to offer that to all of us as we move into next year oh I love that yeah (laughs) you know it's really interesting uh I just now I was like man I don't know what I would say for 2021 and so I pulled a tarot card uh, and I pulled the 10 of pentacles, which is one of the most overwhelmingly positive cards to draw upright. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's this idea of, you know, so many people in the pandemic are kind of uh, feeling like this, this grief for all the time that's been lost this year, not just, you know, grief for how awful this year has been, but also for how this year has kind of eaten up our collective energy and I sort of see this as uh, the ten of pentacles kind of meaning that in 2021 we'll have this sense of a wealth of our energy returning to us and so I feel like you know 2021 could be the year that we all experiment and try something new try writing something that we were too scared to write before or that we felt like we weren't good enough to write before because Life is short, you know? So if anything, if we've learned anything from this pandemic, it's how precious time is and how we just need to go for it. Like, shoot your shot. I love that, Emily. I want to do that in 2021 now because of that. No, that's exactly what we should be, you know, take risks, right? Why not? Yeah. What do we have to lose yeah. at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling inspired. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go punch 2021 in the face. Um, Okay, so everybody who is on the podcast tells us either their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something that they wish they'd known before they got started. So you can do either or. You can do both. It's up to you. Oh, okay. This is Nova. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I, you know, I was trying to figure out what my most embarrassing uh, story would be. And, you know, I think of there are a lot of like socially anxious moments that I had in uh, events and things that come to mind. And I also think that maybe I 
shouldn't have queried with 25 pages and I'm embarrassed about that. But I think that what would be more helpful is, you know, to think about the, the lesson, you know, what I wish I had known. Because now, you know, now five books later, all those years later, you know, I think that the thing that I, when I look back on it and I look back at who I was and I look back at the, the great moments that I had in my career and then the not so great moments, I really wish that I had been able to enjoy the moments that were good and be in them and make the most of them and celebrate them when they were happening. Because I always felt that, you know, I always was just second guessing myself and not celebrating when, you know, I reached like this like peak moment in my career. I don't think I made what I could have with it. And so I, I think that this, the lesson that I learned from this that came from, you know, a conversation that I had with my agent when I was dealing with the book after that, uh, he said something that really, really struck me was that, you know, a career is not just, you know, rising and rising and rising and growing bigger as you go, you know, just because you've had, you know, you know, one success and you're like, you know, climbing up the stairs, your career is not just always going to be in that upward motion. Like there are the, as he said, peaks and valleys, you know, and that is a normal career. If you want to have a long career as an author, looking at those moments where you're going to be up and it's going to be great. And then, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are then entitled to the same successes and, you know, things that you got for your last book, you know, that is very much obviously, you know, not always going to happen. And I think that when I was in the moment when things were going really, really great, I, I was so anxious and not appreciating, appreciating it at that moment. But then at the same time thinking, well, OK, I made it to this point. So the next point, I guess, should be, you know, higher than that. Right. Um, and then when that didn't happen, it was such a disappointment and a shock for me to realize that, um, you know, ca the career has peaks and valleys. And I, I wish that I had, first of all, made more of the time that was good and celebrated that a, a lot more. And also that I realized from a, a later, you know, much earlier that it's going to be like this, that it's going to be if you want to be on this long road, there are going to be wonderful, successful moments and bask in that. And then there are going to be harder moments. And that's just a part of being, you know, a long-term author. And that is realistic and that is okay. So I, I really wish that I had understood that when I was starting out. Now that I've learned it, I hope, <laughs> I hope to, you know, to, to take that wisdom with me. But, um, you know, sometimes things like that can be a hard lesson. It's wonderful advice. Really, really is. <laughs> um, okay, Emily, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, I want to piggyback off of what Nova said, because I also have started to recontextualize how I think of my career. And I really love um, that, that you said that thing about peaks and valleys, or rather that Michael, our, we, <laughs> our shared have, agent, yes. <laughs> shared agent. Um, that he said that to you because I had for the longest time envisioned my career as being this mountain that I was climbing forever trying to reach the summit. And, you know, when I, when I got to several peak moments in publishing my debut, I kept thinking, I kept feeling the sense of overwhelm of how am I supposed to climb higher? How am I going to top this book? How am I going to 
follow up and you know how like the people who love this book how am I going to give them something that they're going to love just as much or more and that was very uh, you know extremely overwhelming and crushing like it froze me in place and I started recently to realize that I can't think of my career as this one mountain I realized that you know astonishing the astonishing color of after my debut was one peak for me to summit and my next book is this separate mountain you know over there that I have to go and summit and the obstacles are different the terrain is going to be different the context everything about it is going to feel different and I don't need to compare them to each other uh, I think there's, a, you know, capitalism has instilled in us this idea that we should be forever competing with everyone around us and we should be competing with ourselves to forever be better and better. And that's just, you know, that's the road to hell and burnout. And so I think, you know, recontextualizing and thinking of it in terms of what do I want to achieve with this project? creatively, not thinking at all competitively in any sense, not comparing at all to what I've written in the past, just purely from a creative perspective, you know, isolating this project in a bubble on its own. What is this project meant to be? What is the summit that I'm reaching for just for this one project? Um, changing how I think about my work to being shaped like that I think has been really huge for me. And um, going back to the the embarrassing moment in publishing, um, I, you know, when I was copy editing, uh, astonishing, the copy editor did this thing where I, I had written all the Mandarin in pinyin, which is the the way that you anglicize it. It's it's a specific spelling system, and. Um, the, they had gotten a copy editor who knew Ping Ying and the copy editor went through and made all of these changes to, to the convention that I was typing with. And I kind of had this meltdown and I wrote this ludicrously long email to my agent ranting about how upset it was because I was like, I spent so much time checking and double checking and triple checking and I like cross-referenced and I contacted scholars in China to make sure I was doing it correctly and now this copy editor comes in and like I have to fix all of it again and he was very kind about my meltdown and didn't you know say anything other than to be like yeah you know well that's just how the process is and I realized maybe like 48 hours later that oh I could just write global stat and everything would be fine. Like the cop editor would just go and undo it all. And I kind of feel like that was a metaphor for the entire publishing experience. Take <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. the F out about something. And in the grand scheme of things, it's all fine. There's always ways to fix something. Nothing is as big a deal as it feels in the moment. And sometimes when we're freaking out so hard about something, it's just that we need to take a step back and, you know, remember all the rest of the process. That's, so, I, that's perfect. I feel called out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. That's so true. Uh, that's, that's so universally true. <laughs> 
Um, but it's it's good. It's kind of good to hear it like said out loud in like a clear and concise way like that because we do get so in our own heads about <laughs> about our books. It, it gets intense. I'm just so glad I didn't email my publishing team with that. Like I only I I saved that my our poor agent is like I, that person, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I feel like agents I I agree. Agents like sometimes need to get more credit because they're kind of like therapists. Um, <laughs> they're like everything. They're like your agent, your contract negotiator, explaining like copyright law to you, and then also your therapist. Um, it's good. I mean, I think that um, being aware of the grand scheme of things, that's how it feels. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you both mind letting everyone know where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, so Nova here, and you can find me. My website is novaren.com. On Twitter, I am Nova Ren, so N-O-V-A-R-E-N. And I am also the same on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, and my handle for everything is E-X-R-P-A-N. And for anyone who wants to go back and, you know, not just get foreshadow stories to celebrate the magic of reading and what and writing YA, but also read the stories online, including Clarabelle's beautiful story. Remember, that website is foreshadowya.com. Thank you. (laughs) That was so sweet. (laughs) And we'll we'll have all the links in the in the show notes for the website and to order the book as well. Yeah, you yeah. can, Clarabelle, you can put your short story link at the top. Oh, yes, that's, that's, please, that's, please do. That's the yeah, first thing. That. Please do. <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast. It's been really enlightening talking about writing in your and your books and, and to fan over foreshadow with both of you. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabelle A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.